Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me. This week, we've been reading through Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk, and we have seen so much in these five short books. But what we've experienced, I hope, is the very presence and power of God through His Word that is active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, There may have been, as you were reading through this, some dust that flew off your pages because we don't really go to these a lot. Uh, And yet, there is so much that we can learn from these minor prophets. Uh, Today, especially, we're going to look at apologetics from these books. And I want to focus primarily on the book of Habakkuk, uh, mainly because Habakkuk is one book that we don't really go to often. uh, And as you're reading through it, it's only three chapters, uh, but you may have a lot of questions concerning this. Well, there is an apologetic question that rises up from the book of Habakkuk that even uh, the the author actually, the prophet actually asks. And it's one that is asked over and over today. And here's the question. As Judah is, is being punished and going into captivity, and they are going to the, as uh, Habakkuk puts it, the Chaldeans, that's really the Babylonians, uh, same same people there. Here's the question. God, how could you use a nation like Babylon that's more wicked than Judah to punish your children, Judah? And th- think about it real quick. And that, that's a question that, that is asked maybe in a different way even today. God, how can you let evil, evil, wicked people punish your uh, good people or your people, or uh, God, how how can you let bad things happen uh, to to discipline those who are trying to follow you? And and this is uh, however you ask that question. This is something that we need to be able to answer to defend the faith, because many of those outside the Christian faith um, think of God as this unfair God who uh, just sits up in his throne and he's he, he gets mad and just hits people out of line and, and kicks them out of the family. But that's not the case. Um, but we do need to understand that our God is a God of justice because his righteousness is not like ours. We have no righteousness apart from Christ. Uh, go with me to um, Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, verse 5 says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And here's what he says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. And then in verse 12, listen to Habakkuk, he says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And so... um. Habakkuk is just crying out in honesty. He says, God, why are you using somebody that's more wicked than we are to to destroy us in this sense? We aren't going to die as a people, but but yes, God, we are being disciplined. What's going on here? And and I believe there are going to be two two main answers to this. The first is 
to crush the pride of God's people. I want you to think about this, not, not just for Judah for in, in their day, but think about us. Why does God allow certain things to take place? Why does God allow us to hit rock bottom sometimes, even using sinful people that don't follow him, even using secular things, even in a sense, as, as uh, Asaph would cry out in the book of Psalms, uh, you know, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, I almost slipped because I got jealous of, of, of the heathen and the pagan. You know, why does God allow certain people to rise into control? Uh, maybe that's a question. Why does God let certain kings and queens and presidents and leaders who are unholy people um, have leadership over holy, righteous people? Well, notice, I, I, I believe it's because God is trying to crush pride. Look at verse, um, or look at Habakkuk uh, chapter uh, 2. He says, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the just or the righteous will live by his faith. To have faith and to live by faith means that we exercise a dependence upon someone who is greater than we are. And consider that for a moment. If we say we have faith in God, it means that we have faith outside of ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. Even Jeremiah would cry out, Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the, the strong man boast in his strength. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands God, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, that we would not trust in ourselves. To crush our pride, God can use any means necessary so that we might live by faith. But second, he uses these people, I believe, to offer them a chance at, um, at, at, at repentance or a chance at being made right, whether they they go with that or not. Now, now listen to what God says in chapter 1, verse 15. The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with the net, gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? And then God is going to say in verse 9 of chapter 2, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of uh, calamity. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? Verse 15, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink. Verse uh, 19, Woe to him who says a piece of wood awake to a mute stone arise. That speaks of idolatry. So, so God is saying, Woe to the greedy, woe to the violent, woe to the drunkard, woe to the idolater. And then ultimately, verse 20 of chapter 2, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is 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 showing, listen, what you see right now is a moment. It's you're you're finite, you don't understand, but I'm infinite and I will show you what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to crush your pride so that you live by faith, but I'm also going to allow Babylon to really hang themselves. But think about this. God allows Babylon led by who? Nebuchadnezzar. And as we studied the book of Daniel, remember, Nebuchadnezzar came to trust in the Lord, in God. I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. And and this happened because 
Israel went into captivity. Yes, there was. Uh, it served many purposes. First, to punish Israel for their wickedness, but also to save some in Babylon. And God alone works through that. Well, then what do we do? We pray. We pray for revival. When you think about apologetics and defending the faith, we must understand that most times the defense of our faith is not in front of people to change their thoughts, but defending our faith actually means that we change, that it's a it's a response of our own heart. I need to trust the Word of God. And how do I do that? I pray. And that's why Habakkuk really closes the way it does. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet in verse in chapter 3 verse 1 he says in verse 2 O Lord I have heard the report about you and I fear O Lord revive your work in the midst of the years you know what the most important word in that verse is you might say revive it's actually not the word is your because we get so focused on revive oh let's have revival let's do revival and revival means this newness of this uh this rebirth Okay, that might happen, but what are we wanting to revive? If we're just trying to revive our things, we're dead men. And and maybe your your thought is, well, the most important word is work in 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 that passage. No, uh, the the work is not accomplished with our effort. The most important word is your. He says, "Oh Lord, your work, revive your let your work take place." And if that's the work of captivity at some points in order to let us go free, then take captive everything in my heart that is not yours so that everything that is you runs free. Revive your work. And then we need to ask God to revive our praise for him. Do you see what uh, Habakkuk does? Habakkuk just begins to praise God. He says, oh God, you are the holy one. Your splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of your praise. Your radiance is like the sunlight. Uh, Rays of flashing from your hand. And uh, uh, And there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him. We see all of the power to crush the enemy, but to also crucify our flesh so that we can walk in him. And and Habakkuk simply says, revive your work, revive my praise, and then revive my strength. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. He he says, there's coming one who's going to hurt us, who's going to invade. But here's what he says, yet, verse 18, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, for the Lord God is my strength. He saw the doom coming, and he declared that he was going to trust in the Lord. And we can see even today in our lives, uh, there are bad things on the horizon. There is persecution that awaits believers, but we can trust in the Lord. Oh, I love the book of Habakkuk. Yes, there's a lot of heavy stuff, but it is a book of hope because we can pray that, yes, God would use a nation like Babylon. God would use wicked, sinful, wretched creatures, but ultimately God would use his own son, Jesus Christ, the most holy and perfect, and that he would use Christ to be crucified, buried, 
but then ultimately to rise again so that we might be saved. That is his work, and that's how he brings revival to us. As we close out this episode, we want to look at our ministry moment. And I simply want to offer you a ministry that you can pray for, and it is the ministry of the WMU with the Southern Baptist Convention. WMU is Women's Missionary Union, and uh, specifically the work of the RAs, or for the RAs and GAs. We are restarting that here at our church, uh, and I'm so excited about that. Our kids, are, uh, we were doing it up until COVID and, uh, and, and put a pause on that that and then even tried to do some other ministries. But I really believe that RAs and GAs with its missions emphasis is is a great way for our church and churches uh, like ours to focus on missions and raise children in missions, training, education, and then engaging them by sending them off as they grow up. Uh, so I want you to uh, pray for RAs, GAs, children work, and especially the WMU as they are such a great arm of the gospel in our world. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.